Hey everybody, thank you for tuning into the Broke Down Podcast. This is episode number 43. Today's guest is a terrific guitar player that I've been listening to for some time, Chris Forsyth. Chris is an extremely talented player, and his new album, All Time Present, is out now on No Quarter Records. You can find it at noquarter.net via Chris's Bandcamp, chrisforsyth1.bandcamp.com. Of course, you can find those links on my blog in the show notes. Broke Down Podcast is a member of the Osiris Podcast Network. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with podcasts and live experiences about artists and topics that you love. Sign up for the newsletter at osirispod.com to stay in the loop. Also, Osiris works in partnership with Jambase, which connects music fans with the music they love and empowers them to go out and see live music. That's the thing I like to do. How about you? Check them out at jambase.com. Do you like the band Ween? I'm not really a fan, honestly. I've tried them a number of times, but it's never stuck. But if you love Ween, or if you don't know them at all, you may enjoy God Ween Evan, a group of comedians who are fans of the band Ween attempt to bring their friend and fellow comedian Evan Kaufman over to the brown side. It's a fascinating podcast that even I, a non-Ween fan, have enjoyed. So check it out on OsirisPod.com. Was that... Was that, like, too not glowing a review? Because I don't want to seem unenthusiastic, because I, I I, think you might dig it. Okay, I'll shut up about that. Let's talk about the news. Is there news? Is there news? What news is there? I saw something today. Phil Lesh will be at the Oregon Country Fair this year. So if that's a thing that you're familiar with and aware of, now you know Phil will be there. I think Jim James might also be on the lineup. Anyways, I, I just saw that in passing. Uh, what else did I see? Uh, Woodstock 50, which was to feature Dead & Company, along with a, a whole lot of groups from back in the way back, as well as current day. It has been canceled. Reports indicate that it was about money rather than local turbidity. But uh, what are you going to do? That's too bad. Bob Weir and the Wolf Brothers will be playing at the Santa Cruz Mountain Soul Festival in September. Golden Gate Wingmen, Turquoise, and Billy Strings are among the initially announced groups. And man, have you heard Billy Strings? Have you listened to him? I've been I've been checking him out a lot lately. That guy is so good. I really like his band. They play really great songs, including some dead songs, or songs that dead fans should know. Yeah, you should check him out. Anyways. I was on another podcast recently, Discologist, with host Kevin Hill. I joined Kevin to review the new and very excellent album from Bruce Hornsby. It's entitled Absolute Zero. You can find it in your favorite podcast app. Kevin does great work reviewing albums of all sorts from week to week, so consider subscribing to his show. All right. Now, as I told you, Chris Forsyth has a new record. It's called All Time Present. It's now out on No Quarter Records. You can grab it at noquarter.net or from his band camp. You can find those links and more on my blog, brokedownpodcast.blogspot.com. Please also check out my Twitter at BrokedownPod, my Instagram, which is also BrokedownPod, and on the Facebook, which is BrokedownPodcast. Okay, that's enough of that stuff. Let's get into it with Chris Forsyth. <laughs> Thanks for doing this. Uh, I've been I've been listening to your records for a while. Oh yeah, well, cool. Thanks for having me. I've listened to some of the um, 
broke down podcast myself uh driving home from gigs in new york so uh, cool it's nice nice to be on it yeah they, they probably fit most of them probably fit right into the the drive of course the late night just about everybody. right yeah yep. zero you're based in philly yep okay very cool I, you know, as I, I, I was telling you before I hit record, I, I don't have a lot of notes, but I did have one thing I wanted to start with, which was just to kind of help my listeners get acquainted with you, as I'm sure I will have told them that you're a guitar player in the name of your new record. And we'll talk more about that in a bit. But where would you start playing? When did you like pick up a guitar? And uh, at what point did you start playing out? Well, um, I mean, pretty typical. Uh, I'm 46 years old. I uh, picked up the guitar and I probably, I guess, about 86. So I was like 13. Cool. I was, I mean, both of my uh, grandfathers were musicians, but um, sort of uh, failed musicians or, you know, whatever. They didn't, you know, uh, they didn't make a mountain of money out of it or anything so my parents were generally like oh music very nice hobby but didn't really um while they enabled me to do a lot of things they didn't really like push it in that direction or anything but um when i was like 13 i you know i had a friend who got a guitar and uh you know seemed like a fun thing to do and while i had i think probably you know musical preferences like any average person it wasn't particularly like a music head or anything when when I was 13 I didn't have any wasn't coming from any specific background that had like cultivated that I just you know heard like classic rock on the radio and delicatessens in central New Jersey so and right. uh, and my friend uh, got a guitar and it was something to do so yeah um, yeah I picked up a guitar when I was about 13 my parents said, oh, you should get a guitar lesson. I got a guitar lesson and I wanted to learn like songs by like the Sex Pistols and the Who. And, you know, he was teaching me these like he was going a little slower than that. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, you wanted and to I, dive right in. And he's yeah, like, and my, my 13 year old head was not ready for, you know, folk songs and understand reading, reading music and stuff. So. I kind of I drove my bike around the block for an hour when I told my mom I was going to the second lesson and then I just never told her like you know Jimmy Page never took guitar lessons why should I and she was like okay <laughs> um, but uh, you know so then from then on it was just you know really kind of being self-taught learning from magazines learning from friends picking up things where you can and uh, but you know I, I mean I formed a band almost immediately when in high school um, and you know, because we at first couldn't really play that well, we started writing our own songs. Um, and uh, although I eventually, you know, we started playing lots of covers and stuff, and that was a big learning sort of, you know, learning ground. But um, uh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's how I kind of got into it. Cool. And uh, I was looking at your, uh, at Discogs, which is, is always dicey because it, it costs me money so often when I go there. But um, yeah. There's, there's, said, a ta there's a tax. Yeah, there is. <laughs> and it, it goes back. I mean, there's a, like a self-titled CD going back to 98. So is that? That was a seven inch, actually. Oh, is that? Um, a, okay. Yeah. Um, and that was the first thing that I ever put out that, um, yeah, I think, I guess that's the first thing I ever actually put out. I mean, I played in bands through college and stuff, but, you know, none of it ever really went anywhere. Um 
and you know for good reason i mean (laughs) it was woodshed and learning right yeah yeah pretty much and you know good times and stuff but um uh yeah that i made this uh, like around 98 or so is when i was taking lessons from richard lloyd the guitar player from television and uh i'd started to kind of like learn some things and by that point i had also started to kind of like like combine this sort of whatever I had this background and originally sort of like classic rock, but then a lot of sort of, uh, you know, sort of like, uh, our band can be your life type indie rock from the eighties and proto alternative rock kind of stuff. So this sort of, sort of punk rock oriented background merged with this classic rock original thing. And then, um, after college where I, in, in New Jersey, I, I, uh, moved to New York and um, started to get into like improvised music and free jazz and stuff like that. And so that was like the first sort of place where like the, I guess I would say like the, you know, uh, the stew of, you know, what, the primordial stew of where I, my music comes from started to kind of coalesce on some level. Cool. So you were based in New York at that point, I assume, as you were yeah, studying I lived in, with Richard Lloyd? Yeah, I lived in New York from 96 to 09. Okay. And uh, and I was I was taking lessons from from Richard like uh, ninety nine or so ninety eight ninety nine something like that very late nineties outstanding he's um God he's a legend I I don't even know what to ask about him I had even considered although I I'm aware that you uh, had learned some things from him yeah it's 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 uh it's you know I mean it was super formative and it was sometimes I mean I even now sort of wonder about it because um you know i guess when i was when i was a teenager rem was a big band for me they were like the first band that when i was like i don't know 14 or so shortly after i got the guitar that i sort of discovered and so i could sort of see like this sort of bridge to sort of classic rock form but it was also they were sort of at the time it's always it seemed you know sort of mysterious and murky and sort of they were not like hair metal and the other stuff that was, you know, on the MTV and on the radio then. And so it felt like kind of a left turn somehow, but through them, I discovered like the velvet underground and television for sure. I'm certain that that's how I, how I came across them. And so from my teen years, I mean, television really got a hook in me and, um, but I always found their music to be kind of impenetrable. Like I couldn't figure out how to play any of it. And of course I didn't really know what I was doing, but I could figure out like, I don't know, I could figure out uh, other songs by ear and I just could not figure out some of this stuff. And then when I, um, uh, had this opportunity, when I realized I could take lessons from, from, from Lloyd, it's like, huh, I better do that. And, um, it was sort of, I mean, I was, I didn't know anything at the time either. And I was, it was kind of astonishing to me that somebody who in my mind was this monumental figure was giving guitar lessons. Um, right. And this is probably just after he had stopped playing with uh, Matthew sweet in the nineties, which was kind of his, like a big gig for him, I guess. And, uh, and um, you know, he's a very scholarly guy. He's kind of eccentric and very, very, very smart. And I mean, really, I mean, you know, st- still, I think one of the, you know, great rock guitar players. Um, but, you know, he definitely, unlike a lot of great rock guitar players, I think he also formed a methodology and a way to 
and could communicate and can communicate it, um, you know, and, and teach it, which is a whole nother skill, uh, I think. And, um, and then, so when he taught me, um, a lot of this stuff suddenly like the, and the, the kind of his approach to the, the idea of music and his approach to the guitar neck and patterns on the neck and how to play it suddenly their music all sort of came into focus like i could sit down and just like identify like figure out how to play all these songs that just a couple of few years ago had seemed like completely impenetrable to me and and mystifying so um he really brought everything into focus for me and i i I, it's like i can't i can't really overstate uh you know his influence go right ahead and try i mean it's uh, he's (laughs) uh television i i'm uh just a hair younger than you and so uh you know you're talking about rem in a way that i understand because that that 80s rem uh quite different from the the 90s megastar rem and totally uh, yeah the mysterious and murky edge to it was quite appealing and very different from so many of the other things i was listening to at the time I think I came to television a little bit later. I was already in a record store, working in a record store, when uh, my coworker laid them on me, and it just completely blew my mind. He said, uh, "These guys are like uh, punk Grateful Dead." Totally. And and I said, "What? That's ridiculous!" And then he put it on, <laughs> and um, <laughs> I was like, "Okay, okay, I hear what you mean. They're really stretching." And it was still a little while before I was able to really, at least in my mind untangle the two guitars um i don't know i I, i'm not a much of a player so i i'm sure i couldn't sit down and play one person's part over the other except maybe in a couple passages where it's very clear Mm -hmm. uh you know i I don't think i could ever do that but uh yeah that's what what a treat that must be to be able to sit down with somebody who whose sound is so important to just yourself as a young listener of music as well as musician yeah for sure it's funny around the time i guess it was maybe around 2000 or something like that shortly after i had maybe i'd already finished studying with him because i studied with him for about a year and a half or so um just for a goof uh some friends and i there was there was a venue in, in new york at the time called arlene's grocery and they would do these things where you know bands that would cover a complete album by um, you know, a given band, or they would have like three bands covering, you know, three different albums. And so, just for a goof, some friends of mine and I said, Oh, we should do Marquee Moon. And uh, my friend who was going to be the singer, and he's also a guitar player, um, he was like, He's like, I was like, Do you want to be Tom Verlaine or Richard Lloyd? He's like, You're doing all the guitar parts, man. <laughs> he's like, He's like, Remembering the lyrics is going to be hard enough for me, but you're doing all the guitar parts. So I happened to tell Lloyd, I was like, yeah, we're doing a cover of, uh, of Marky Moon. He was like, yeah, which one are you? Are you, you Tom or me? I was like, I'm both. <laughs> and oh, he, he, he thought that was pretty funny um, because I think those guys have a musical and personal, uh, you know, uh, friction, pardon the pun, uh, which is, right. you know, which is real. Um, but, you know, that was also one of those things where I was able to sort of, sort of be able to try to dial in and like, uh, you know, analyze and figure out sort of like the nuances between what they're playing because so much of it is entangled, but then, you know, their guitar solos are often, um, 
very distinctively different. Yeah, they are. And they're, I don't think I could say, I can really add to that because I think you covered it very clearly. Their they're, television is a, it's a pocket I can dive into and stay there. Although your records do evoke that at times, um, which I, I intend that to be as complimentary as it may sound. Um, yeah, taken you know, as such. Yeah, they're, uh, it's, I can hear it in there, particularly knowing that there's some background. It certainly says, oh yeah, okay. Um, I can I can pick up on that a bit. There's a lot more to it. And, you know, I went back through my records, as I said, I was looking at your discogs and I went through, through my records and I thought, I thought I had, you know, a bunch, but it, relatively speaking, I only have a handful. Um, and so, I, but I, I did go back and kind of spin through them and they run about, I think the oldest one is probably only about six years old. And uh, so you've got yeah, stuff well, that's- going back... That's about that's about the time that anybody really cared about what I was doing. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I've been I've been playing music for my whole life, pretty much. Yeah. You know? Well, uh, and there's some records I don't really know well, uh, but I, I did want to ask you about one from from 2011. You have a Paranoid Cat, and the reason I want to uh-huh. ask you about that is because you have on the new record, new Paranoid Cat. Yeah. So if you'll pardon the jumping around, I wanted to ask you if you could just if maybe there's nothing to it but if you could tell us a bit about you know paranoid cat which was a you know a song in three parts uh, mm-hmm. on the record it was a whole side um and now we have the new paranoid cat what caused you to revisit and or is it just the having this band that made you want to kind of do something with it or well you know that the record paranoid cat that came out in 2011 on um uh, family vineyard label just from out in indiana that was the first record that I made that was, I think you could say, like, uh, you know, a rock record, like, you know, idiomatically, like, oh, yeah, I put it on, like, hmm, it's got these, like, you know, it's got some other kinds of things going on, but it's clearly a rock record. There's guitar, bass, drums, and, you know, melodies. I mean, that, that's kind yeah. of, I, can, I consider that sort of the first record where what I, I guess, came to sort of... Uh, be known for as such and or 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 the the main characteristics of my sound sort of that's the first place that they started to kind of take a familiar shape and um but it was that was and that's also the first record that i made with peter curlin the bass player who's also you know been my closest collaborator uh for the past i don't know 10 or 12 years or whatever um he's been on all the other on all the other records but um uh, but I made that record also sort of very in a very kind of ad hoc manner. Like we, you know, recorded it piecemeal in in um, project studios, like at Peter's rehearsal space. And um, I was still figuring out how to do, I think, you know, what I'm doing. As I'm still trying to figure out how to do it, but it was at a more formative stage then. And but that song, Paranoid Cat, which. Um, you know, it was just a, a song that I felt was like, oh, this is like the this is the best song that I've written <laughs> at that point. And the melody always stayed with me. And it's I've always it's always been something that I went back to and played a lot. And, um, you know, it's 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 it, it, it at one point it was definitely like this kind of vehicle for improvisation. And um, in some ways it still is, although a lot of it sort of from playing it for so long, there's parts that kind of became more solidified. And, you know, the reason that I went back to it was 
basically, I just thought that after playing it for, you know, eight or nine years, like we were playing it better, and the song, and that the and that the recording quality of that other version was not could be improved upon, you know. Um, so that's why that's why we went back to it. I just it's a, a song that I think was a really strong composition that wasn't quite. Uh, given its due at the in the at the time for a variety of reasons you know it, it hadn't been probably fleshed out clearly enough musically and the rec- we could make i learned so much more about recording in the last 10 years that i felt like i could just make a better more powerful representation of it which i think we did cool well maybe we'll um drop in just a, a little bit of it here for folks to get a get a, an ear on for a second sure That's a really cool track, um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna keep jumping around. So you uh, did a record called Solar Motel, mm-hmm. which is a pretty great record in my opinion, and I think Thank other you. people uh, agree that was on Paradise at Bachelors in 2013. Mm-hmm. And then after that, although there are some Chris Forsyth, Nate Woolley record, uh, Cohen, I'm gonna get his name right. Is it Cohen Holtkamp? Uh, it, it's actually pronounced Keen, but yeah, Keen, see, I knew I'd get that wrong because yeah. it's. Keen Holtkamp, there's you have a couple records with him. I actually have the one, mm-hmm. The Island from 2015. I put it on last night and um, yeah, just I hadn't listened to it probably in a year or more and I just completely blissed out on the heavy synthesizer guitar work and that it was cool. really Thanks. great. Um, but 
Solar Motel became the name of the band you toured that record with, and then the next several records, I guess, came out mm-hmm. as, under that moniker. Yep. Yeah, so the Solar Motel album um, was, I would say, the first record that I made in like a, you know, a reasonably high quality studio. And that was that was the one that any like, like I was saying before, like, oh, six years or seven years, that's about how long people have given a shit about what I do. And it's because of that record, really, like, which which I didn't it didn't I didn't have a band at that time. Although I had people that I had been playing music with for a number of years that I recorded it with, but we recorded it kind of like a jazz record. Like we got together and rehearsed for a day and then just went in and recorded it in like, I think a couple days and then, you know, did some overdubs for a day and then mixed it in a couple days. Um, But when it came out on Paradise of Bachelors, like, uh, you know, it was the first time that people started to, uh, uh, you know, call up the label and be like hey, is, are these guys going to tour or what's going on there's some gigs blah 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 and so it started people started soliciting you know me to do stuff and so that, at that point I needed to uh, put together a band because I didn't have a working band at that time huh. um, so that and then so it seemed natural to just call it the Solar Motel Band because it was initially formed literally just to play that album um, and then um, you know uh, it just sort of carried on from there and I you know I think at the time I was trying to figure out what being a band leader is uh, and how to do it and I thought I think um, that it meant like a band is a band it's it's you know a group of individuals who, who each of their character is important and it has to have an identity and that it's this kind of gang um, and you know over the next couple few years, I realized that that's very difficult to, to keep together and to do because people have lives and interests and, uh, you know, other things going on that get in the way. And so the lineup would kind of, you know, morph and change. So, you know, first, you know, Paul Sukino is a guitar player who, um, you know, was kind of in the first version of that band. And uh, he played in the band for a couple of years, but then, he left, and he's a great player. He's 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 playing with Steve Gunn right now. He's he was cool. Angel Ols- Angel Olson's uh, touring guitar player for a couple of years, um, but um, but you know he moved on to other things. And 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 Nick Millivoy came in, who's also a really great guitar player, and that sort of changed the character in a cool way. And then the drummer left, and whatever. Eventually, I it got to the point after three or four years that. Um, you know, I realized that when I had gigs or tours, I was just basically trying to field a band. And I was like, oh, this idea of like having a band band like R.E.M. was a band with four, you know, individuals of strong character. It was not um, something that was viable for me on this level. And so um, I started to kind of embrace the idea of just having it be more um, loose and, you know, Fortunately, uh, I mean, I have, uh, you know, just from playing music for a long time and I've, I've formed a lot of relationships with really great uh, players who are um, also willing to, you know, go out and play my music with me. So um, that kind of leads to why the, the new record is not credited to the Solar Motel band. It was like it was like the band doesn't really exist. So why even call it that anymore? And it, it, that's sort of like a 
like a like a mental thing, but it it it, it made going into the record, uh, going into the recording of this um, a little clearer, I think, because it was like, you know, um, everybody can contribute and be creative, and we can have this dialogue, and you know, there's room for everybody, but also like. There's a couple tracks on there that aren't the full band. One of them is literally just me and Jeff Ziegler, who's the recording engineer who also plays this like synthesizer on one track. And another track is just me and Sean Hansen, the keyboard player. So it was like I can put together, you know, like different musical ideas that aren't, they don't need to all be the band. Like it doesn't need all to be present, you know? Yeah, well, there's a, there's a certain baggage or expectation with a a band name if you will and you sure. can, you can leave that behind i mean you'd already basically left that behind right and uh, right so this was in a way it was just a matter of like you know stating that super openly and also which is part of that is also just truly coming to terms with it on my own and being like oh right like i can i can do whatever the heck i want on this record <laughs> it doesn't cool. have to, you know there doesn't have to be well what's uh you know, what's the drummer going to do on this track? Oh, well, maybe there's no drummer on this track, you know? <laughs> well, uh, I I want to actually, I'm going to put a pin in that that thought because I, I want to talk about your drummer. But um, I, I, I do want to go back because I'd like to rave about your last several records. Um, because it, Intensity Ghost was the first one I picked up. And I, st- I put that on again last night when I was going through the records, just kind of refresh myself and ballad of freer hollow is the opener on that and it is just a like a flag in the ground of guitar rock cool yeah thanks and uh that still it still gets me i i know that when i got that record i played that over and over and uh, i probably haven't played it for a little while but when i pulled it out last night dropped the needle on that i was like yes this i remember this um (laughs) (laughs) yeah and that and that record is very i would say very much a band record because that was that was that original group of people that i put together you know uh to play the solar motel stuff which was peter the bass player who lives in new york um and who i'd been playing with for years but then uh paul sukina and Stephen ergo the drummer who um were are philly guys and they're also um uh, they were, you know, we were sort of pretty new friends at the time, and and uh, we made that record pretty quickly after the band had like kind of done some gigs and gotten around and stuff, and it felt like there was a real spark in it. Yeah, well, it there's definitely a spark in it. Um, I also have the uh, this bootleg looking uh, LP with just the Solar Live, which mm-hmm. is something folks should look for if you're a record collector out there. Look for that. Chris Forsyth and the Solar Motel band Solar Live 11, 15, 13 it's got like the the dog from the Hoy Hoy record on the front and uh, <laughs> yeah well we lifted we lifted the entire or I lifted the entire uh, cover art from that from a Little Feet bootleg yeah oh it, well yeah that makes total sense because it looks <laughs> like several stylistically yes. at least looks like several bootlegs that I already have um and yeah, well, the the idea was that you know there's a there's a sort of famous little feet bootleg called Electric Lickenthrope, <laughs> which was um, uh, like a radio sessions that they did um, at this 
what is it? I think it's called WLIR or something. Is out in Hempstead, Long Island, and it was like a radio show where there's lots of great recordings from bands in the '70s playing there. Cool. But I guess th- they had made this recording and wanted to release it as a live record, uh, and their label, whoever it was, I don't know, Warner Brothers or something. Yeah, they're Warner. Uh, said no, and they're like, yeah, and they were like, well, we really want this to come out. So they actually, the at least the legend has it passed the tapes on to the bootleggers and were like put this out we want people to hear this and so they sort of bootlegged themselves uh with that recording which is sort of what we were imagining that we were doing with the the solar live record because that's the active band doing our versions of the solar motel album but of course because it was different players and there's a lot of like you know there's improvisation and there's like you know uh people's different sort of characters like it had its own identity i think and so you know the joke was like yeah well we're gonna bootleg ourselves as well and so we kind of you know bootlegged the album cover too that's awesome um and it's a terrific record you mentioned in that about improvisation so what kind of role does that play in your live performance and or your studio work I mean, it's huge. It's, uh, I mean, like, you know, to me, like another word for improvisation is music. (laughs) Like it's hard, it's hard for me to actually untangle the two. Um, because I think that, uh, you know, I mean, if you get down and start to really analyze it, um, on some level, like even like songwriting is a form of improvisation because you're trying to come up with ideas and then you kind of codify them. But then even any performance is an improvisation. If you listen to, you know, so many great singers or, um, I don't, you know, any, any, any music from, you know, any, any like great American music has some, uh, element of improvisation in it, whether you're talking about, you know, jazz or, blues or R&B or rock and roll or folk music. I mean, all those things are sort of simple forms that are made real by somebody kind of committing to it in the moment and, you know, uh, doing a specific, making a specific version. And I think, you know, when, when those kinds of musics interacted with, uh, you know, the recording industry is where, is where maybe things started to, there was like a, cognitive dissonance or something because recordings freeze things and I'm interested also in you know uh, uh, recording technology and 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 you know interesting recordings but like I mean even like uh, you know the great Dylan records from the 60s those things were they were winging it yeah you know th- those they were making those things up he was making those things up as they went along and um, intentionally so like try you know trying to get that take um that was, you know, like lightning in a bottle uh, because the band or the musicians were just figuring out the song or learning the song and then, bang, getting that moment uh, documented, which is both improvisation and it's also a strategy to make a really good recording. So, um, you know, it becomes this sort of, like the best, you know, compositions sound improvised and the best improvisations sound composed or something. So, you know, I'm always I'm always trying to... Uh, um, you know, kind of play on that line. So it's a good line to walk. The new record, which I, I'm sure I will have said in the intro, but we haven't really said yet, is called All Time Present. 
And that's a phrase that I noticed last night when I was listening to Have We Mistaken the Bottle for the Whiskey Inside on your previous record, Dreaming the Non-Dream. Is that a deliberate Mm -hmm. callback or is that a phrase that just carries some weight with you that you wanted to elaborate on or... Uh, both. I mean, it's a, that's actually a, uh, so back in like the, I don't know, I guess late nineties, early two thousands, I, when I was sort of trying to process what I had learned from Lloyd, but also kind of involved in these like kind of, you know, avant-garde improv scene, uh, scenes in New York where it was like, there were no, like there were no songs. It was all just like spontaneous, you know, composition or just free improv kind of stuff i had a i had a a group a short-lived group that we called all-time present and it's just like a title that i came up with back then that actually kind of i thought um somehow poetically explained what i was just talking about it's like you know when anytime you're playing music it's like you should be right in that moment which is the only thing we've got anyway um rather than uh you know, trying to replicate something from the past or mimic it or, you know, uh, create a version of it. Like I want to, I want to make living music, which means you're doing it committed to the moment that we're in. And so it's just a, it's just a phrase that's always sort of hung with me. And yeah, it found its way into the lyrics of that song uh, from the last record. And, you know, I was like, it's, I, I, you know, (laughs) I thought I, I, I like that, that, um, that phrase too much to you know not use it as a as a title it's a little like a ram das uh, be here now or uh, totally yeah okay cool so uh let's talk a bit about who's on this record because you've got uh you know as you said a, a bit of a different lineup so maybe you could run them down for us and we could talk a sure. little bit about them i mean it's it is a, it is uh in some ways a different lineup than has been on I mean it is specifically a different lineup of you know than has been on the records in the past but it's all people that I've played with for years in various uh, you know right. formats um, so you know there's Peter Curl and the bass player who as I said has been kind of the cornerstone of of uh, all these recordings and performances like he's been the bass player on whatever 95% of the stuff that I've done in the last 10 years or so, or, or even a little bit more. And, um, and, uh, the keyboard player is a guy named Sean Edward Hansen, who is somebody that I did a lot of playing with back in New York in the aughts. Uh, he's, but he's from Kansas city and he moved back to Kansas city. I don't know, probably around the, the same time that I left New York and moved to Philadelphia, like the end of the aughts, I moved here in 09, but he and I have just had, always had a really strong connection and, He's somebody who can like totally get inside a Credence song and then also totally <laughs> like rip out some, you know, Terry Riley jams. Like he's got really, uh, um, and beyond, like he's got a really broad, um, scope of interest as, as, as I do. And, uh, so he's, he's also played on every one of these kind of solar motel records. He even, he played on Paranoid Cat actually right. i just I um, saw his name there just a few minutes ago yeah so he, he's he's done very few gigs with me in the past 10 years because he lives in kansas city and doesn't really travel much but um you know whenever the whenever the recordings happen i always get him involved and um you know it's a way that we've been able to kind of carry on a collaboration for a long time 
the drummer is uh, Ryan Jewell, who's also a guy I've known for, you know, 10 plus years. And he's toured with the Solar Motel Band and um, on more than one occasion, but just never quite found his way onto an album. And, um, you know, we, I was saying, we, we, he and I would talk for years and like, uh, this year we got to make a record. This year we got to make a record. <laughs> and, well, this year, you know, we made a record. Um, and he's, you know, it's hard to say enough about him. He's just one of the most musical people that I know. You know, he, um, I mean, he's a phenomenal drummer, uh, you know, from a technical standpoint, but also like his, his sort of like, um, his favorite drummers, people we talk about all the time are like, Jim Keltner, you know, and oh, Steve wow. Gadd, like these session dudes who are also, I mean, Keltner is a super idiosyncratic player, but like, um, always plays to the song. Like he's, you know, he's not a, he's not Neil Pert or, you know, or John Bonham or whatever, who's sort of like bombastic and sort of this huge personality. It's more kind of subtle. And this is a funny thing. Like one, t- one time when we were touring, Brian like DJed this uh, session in the van where he was like all Jim Keltner uh, like iPod session or iPhone session where it's like he, he played on everything from knocking on heaven's door to like Dreamweaver to um, uh, you know Steely Dan records to like the theme from the Golden Girls <laughs> to, like, wow. I mean the guy, the guy you know he was just like a guy that played on everything and, and continues to like um, so he's like he's one of those people if you look him up you realize like oh my god that guy's everywhere um but all but kind of invisible like always making the contribution but never like jumping up and down pointing at himself you know so ryan is like that too he's hyper musical and selfless and um he's uh, and a great a great improviser and just like feel forever you know he's come up uh, a few times on this show actually ryan uh, astute listeners will know that know that he played on the 111 heavy record and also yep. on the uh, recent Elkhorn LPs. So. Yeah, and he plays with Riley Walker a lot. Right. Um, so I think he has appeared on some of Riley's records. He's on the Dave Matthews Band uh, record that Riley did last year. And um, and he tours with him a lot. So yeah, he's a busy guy and he can kind of play anything. So, you know. I, I'm going to try to drag him on here at some point, I think, actually. Oh, God. yeah, <laughs> you totally should. Yeah, he's fun to talk to. Yeah, and then you also have uh, Rosalie Middleman singing mm-hmm. a vocal on one of the tracks. She has such a great voice. She, um, I had the pleasure of seeing her do a solo show down here in, in Fredericksburg, Virginia, of all places, with uh, Mountain Movers and Daniel Bachman, who, of course, oh, sick. he's yeah, the guy who brought them, brought them to town. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, what a just what an amazing, amazing set she put on. It was really uh, captivating. So, and she sounds wonderful on this record. Thanks. Yeah. She's super great. And, um, also, you know, old friend, uh, neighbor. I mean, she lives like three blocks from me. Yeah. I was going to say she's Philly as well. Right. So totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, she's got a really good group called long hots that are kind of like this super kind of like jammy garagey kind of thrashy band. And then she's got these, like, you know, her solo stuff as Rosalie is like, you know, very, um, like really well-crafted songs. And yeah, she's just also, just a great performer. I mean, super great singer. Yeah. She's, she's delightful. Um, you have, uh, you know, I mentioned the, uh, Freer Hollow track and I feel like 
this record opens similarly with a strong guitar rock statement of uh, tomorrow might as well be today. But um, you get into some other areas with this record, though. Techno Top is quite a divergent cut, if, if I may mm-hmm. say so. Um, and I think, if I remember this right, is that one of the ones that's co-written by the group? Well, yeah. I mean, so th- so going into this record, it's something that's not like new, but it's been kind of brewing for a while. Is that you know I wanted to I wanted the focus to be really on like rhythm and groove and feel, as opposed to necessarily guitar heroics. You know, right. uh, which whatever. I mean, there's going to be some guitar heroics, I guess. You know, but like I wanted to like. I mean, I'm also as much as I as a kind of you know, uh, fan of, you know, lyrical, melodic lead guitar. I'm also like a huge nerd about like rhythm guitar playing. And, um, and so I, you know, I really wanted to kind of like foreground that. And the, you know, the, 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 um, title track on the last record dreaming in the non-dream was definitely in that, like, you know, coming from the same place where it's just like, you know, kind of a relentless, uh, relentless groove thing. Um, it's a great track. Thanks. Um, but but this record, yeah, I, that's something that I really wanted to put forward. And so that that song, you know, I mean, it's like a song that I brought into the band. But I mean, the you know the the song such as it could exist on paper or something is very just like it's just like a little sketch. You know, like okay, it's in D maybe there's an a minor maybe there's a c maybe there's a g your choice uh here's the groove like keep it as tight and like um you know relentless and like uh minimal and sort of like you know group mind oriented as you can and um you know just go for it and so you know it's essentially a guided improvisation i mean you know, we could, you know, there's certain riffs in there that I think, you know, we've played, you know, we had played the song live probably, I don't know, uh, you know, 10 or 15 times or something like that in various versions of the band leading up to it. So like, you know, at least Peter and I had some sort of vocabulary with it, but, um, that's the, actually that's, that's the only take we did of it. Um, wow. it's part, it's like a, it's like a slight edit of a longer take. I think the full take was something like 27 minutes or something like that. But, um, you know, we sort of, we cut it down a little bit, but that's, yeah, that's, that was it. And I was like, okay, well, that seems to have done the job, <laughs> you know, that seemed to have fit the, filled, fit the bill. Yeah. I like the, the term, uh, guided improvisation. It kind of dovetails nicely with the notion of a, uh, guided meditation, which I think one could almost get into with this track. It's kind of, it, it, it compels one to zone, uh, if mm-hmm. you will, uh, which, which is a great thing in my book because I, I like to go there. So. Yeah, and I mean, I think that that's what a lot of, uh, you know, I mean, a lot of rhythmic oriented music, uh, I mean, that's what it's about, whether you're talking about, you know, I don't know, uh, can or disco or craft work or, um, you know, techno, which is actually something that I was also like listening to or investigating, I would guess is a better way of saying it. Like, I'm, I'm far from a scholar of techno or any, you know, at all, but like the way that that music, as I kind of understand it or experience it, the way that it's sort of like assembled is interesting to me. And that's another thing that I think 
that song tried to do in a way like you know these like it's like make a statement and stick with it and then if you're going to change that statement like make a strong statement and stick with that and like try to line them up you know with the other musicians somehow um but i mean i don't think anybody would ever listen to that song and be like oh it sounds like techno it's more like a rock band trying to play like a techno producer or something you know like if if it was like all like you know like this track is on this track is off now this track is on like these kind of yeah. you know on off ab kind of cuts is what we were like i was trying to um suggest to the band and um so you know that's part of it but yeah i mean the point of dancing is to kind of lose your mind too right just like meditating absolutely or get you know kind of or getting getting out of your mind anyway maybe not losing it <laughs> but getting out of it <laughs> yeah um if rising out of your body yeah yeah that's uh definitely the goal uh, maybe we'll play a little bit of this there's it's it's a 19 minute almost 20 minute track but we'll play just a a minute or two just give everybody a taste here and then carry on The um, the thing that I inevitably ask on this show is um, how, where did you find Grateful Dead? I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm I'm like a Dick's Picks discoverer. Like I um, you know, when I was growing up, I you know, it's it's kind of it's almost quaint to look back on it and think that there was a time when, you know people 
who liked certain kinds of music sort of squared off and didn't like other kinds of music or something. I mean, it seems there's a lot of that. So yeah, it seemed it, it seemed so it seems so antithetical now, but it's like, um, you know, when I was like kind of like I said, I grew up on kind of classic rock stuff, but I kind of drifted into this kind of like post punk world. And in that world, uh, you know, largely like the Grateful Dead were seen as these sort of like dinosaurs or whatever. And also, you know, when I, I mean, I, 87, 88, 89, like, you know, mega dead right. uh, era. And, um, you know, so uh, they were like, you know, super popular. And I was sort of, you know, a little bit alienated to the world and trying to find things that were a little bit more, to my mind, undiscovered or something. And I just... I never gave it a chance, really. It was part of, like, I guess, my own immaturity at the time. But, you know, flash forward 10, 10, 12 years, and I had been in New York and, uh, you know, going to see all these, like, uh, experimental music concerts and, you know, free improvisation concerts. And then I'm not even sure how it came up. I think inevitably in that world, there's some people that, you know, had been deadheads or had, like, followed that band. I mean, you know, like, Lee Ronaldo was a big deadhead back in his in his youth, right. and you there's, know, still still a fan. There's a lot of overlap, for sure. Some people some people don't wear the t-shirts, but they're they're there. Totally. So like, eventually, somebody played me. I mean, I think the record. I think the the one that kind of got me was it. Uh, uh, is it? It's the the, the Pembroke Pines. Uh, is it like the Dick, Dick's Picks number three? Yeah, that sounds right. It's, uh, May May seventy seven. I forget the exact date, but like late May 77, I think, May 20 something. Anyway, I remember somebody got, like I, I got a hold of that and I listened to it and um, I was like, wow, this sounds like, this has like the flow of this like experimental free improv music that I've been like soaking up, but with like country songs in between. <laughs> I remember that was like my thought and I was just like, wow, this is incredibly strange. And, and, uh, I, you know, I, and the, and also that the sound of, I mean, it was May 77. It was, you know, kind of like a peak period. Um, and like the sound of the band at that time was like super crystalline and clear and also super elastic. And, um, you know, that was sort of my entry point. And, um, you know, I just kept on going and, 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 you know, like, that's that's how I got in. Cool. So that was that was probably like late '90s or maybe 2000 or something like it's that. It's a pretty solid entry point. I mean, God, May '77, Grateful Dead is. If if Mickey hadn't broken his arm and they had done a summer tour that year, I think the world would have changed for the better, <laughs> um, in a much yeah. much different and more rapid way than than they ever managed to pull together for us. So, um, yeah, that would have been yeah. it, you know a devastatingly amazing tour yeah or who knows maybe maybe at least you know garcia's descent into uh heroin might have been a little slower or something it, you, know? you know it might have been the the inspiration to uh to keep his head up yeah 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 although although that said with speaking of the broken arm and stuff i mean the the 9377 show is also like a fave of mine uh, english town oh yeah new jersey which is that's probably, uh, I guess they played, I mean, they played in New Jersey tons and, uh, yeah. but that's pretty close to where I grew up. So like I even, you know, I kind of think back, I'm like, geez, you know, there were so many freaking people at that show, supposedly like 125,000 people or something. Um, 
you know, some of my neighbors must have been there. <laughs> Probably were. Um, yeah. The question is, do they remember? Yeah, probably not. <laughs> yeah, it's like running into people who were at uh, Watkins Glen in 73. I, I have an aunt who was there, and I said, oh, man, when I found this out, I was like, hey, did you did you see the dead? She said, well, they were there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was three miles away looking for water. Yeah, but yeah. Something like that. But yeah, there's, there's really massive events. They have their own weight and uh, life. Yeah. So if you were to... Or, I mean, are you strictly dicks picks? If you were to go to, oh no, I mean, I if you were to go and dig around to pull, put something on, is what, what? Where do you go now? What is your favorite era or shows or jams or what have you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I um, I mean, that was sort of the entry point, and I certainly, you know, have done, you know, plenty of research. I mean, you know, I mean, you, you have a podcast about you know that's centered around some to some degree around you know a theme of the dead i mean the dead is one of those things where uh you know you there's no end to the you know knowledge or the you know so there's all sorts of like everybody is an expert you know and everybody's uh that's valid you know everybody's kind of experience with it i think is valid because that's kind of the nature of it but um you know, I mean, I, 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 there's things that I like about, you know, all the eras. I'm, um, I'm a Jerry guy. I mean, like that's really when it, you know, when it boils down to it, that's, that's where it's at for me. I also listen to a lot of Garcia band stuff, um, as well. Um, you know, I, you know, there's, there's Bobby songs that I like, but you know, I'm also one of those guys that kind of skips over the Bobby songs sometimes, you know, right. um, by sometimes, I mean, you know, pretty often. <laughs> um, but, um, although I'm a huge fan of his guitar playing. Um, and, uh, but I mean, I think that maybe because, you know, it's sort of like if you go to a city or go to a place and you, um, have an experience with it, that's, that's, uh, profound or meaningful, you kind of date the city or the place to that time, no matter how the city changes. Like to me, when I first went to New York in like the New York city in like the, you know, late eighties, probably mid to late eighties. To me, that's sort of like where the city, that's the ground zero there. That's the, you know, year one for me, for the city. Sure. So everything I see is in relation to that. And I think the same is, I think the same as, uh, the dead is a similar thing. Like if whatever your way in is, is like, that's sort of your, your, um, you know, your, uh, guide point or whatever. So I'm, I'm definitely like, uh, a huge, um, you know, late seventies guy. I actually, I'm, I'm totally, I'm super into like, I mean, it's a lot of people, you know, um, shit on it, but I'm like, I'm down with a lot of the early eighties stuff, which even though cool. it was like, you know, Garcia's, uh, low point health wise, like, and you know, he didn't have the stamina and you could tell that, um, you know, he was singing less of the song, less songs and stuff a lot of the time. You know, I still feel like a lot of that's some of his kind of most soulful playing also. And um, uh, so I really like that. But, you know, I mean, I'm down with the super whacked like 68 stuff. And, you know, I mean, obviously 72 is another like peak year. And, um, you know, I mean, I've, I've got I've got faves kind of scattered throughout. Well, I think that's a healthy way to be, honestly, because there is a, a grateful dead for every moment. 
Uh, yeah. Somebody on Twitter the other day asked, uh, so uh, are you Grateful Dead in the morning and uh, fish in the evening or what have you? And and, I, and I, to me, I, was, I think I said, uh, uh, daytime is Grateful Dead. Nighttime is Grateful Dead. And everybody else <laughs> kind of filters in the middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, it's, it is all different. I saw some other folks talking about um, oh yeah, autumn's a great time to listen to eighties, late eighties dead. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, everybody's an expert and it's all valid. You know, I'm not, I'm not making fun of it or <laughs> disputing it. Uh, I, I find it interesting and I think, yeah, it yeah, is all it valid, is. whatever, you know, if that's what tickles your brain, then go for it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but like I said, I'm like, I'm a Garcia guy. I mean, I think that he's like, uh, you know, to me, he's like as, um, and he's like John Coltrane or something in terms of his singularity, you know, I mean, the things that the things that he mixed together in the way that he mixed them and not just as a guitar player, although obviously he's completely like a one of a kind guitar player. But I mean, I still think that, you know, he's underrated as a songwriter. I mean, oh, yeah, my God. I mean, the Garcia Hunter songs, it's like it's a smaller uh, canon than, say, like, you know, Dylan or something. But it's super potent <laughs> you know there's so, the, the stuff that they that they laid down is is they're just such great songs yeah, his his melodic and harmonic sensibilities coupled with uh, hunter's words and also jerry's taste for hunter because hunter he wrote plenty more songs than jerry ever sang um, mm -hmm. his selection of those songs uh, was superb totally of course there's a day job in there and yeah, <laughs> everybody's got that song, but I, I kind of like day job some days. So yeah, a little, yeah. yeah, I think a little, I think a little sense of humor is good. I yeah. probably they probably helped you know uh, uh, relieve some of the tension uh, for them then. You know exactly. Um, yeah. And it, it was a good laugh. Yeah. It's always good to have a song to play uh, after a show that was maybe dicey. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah. yeah, man. Uh, is there anything you'd like to add or uh, anything I overlooked here? I don't know. I mean, um, I was I was actually just going to launch into a uh, um, like an analysis of, you know, Garcia's guitar playing. And one of the thing things that I think is most fascinating and unique about him in terms of, you know, rock and roll guitar players is that, um, you know, the dirty secret of you know, rock guitar is that even most of the people that are considered, you know, to be truly the greats, they really kind of do one or two things really well. Yeah. But it's not about virtuosity or whatever. I mean, even going back to like Chuck Berry or something, I mean, he was a stylist that had such, uh, you know, but he, but it's, you know, it's, you hear it and it's like, boom, that's what he does. I mean, you know, oh, yeah. um, I mean, with the exception of people like Hendrix or something, but I mean, Neil Young, he does a couple things really well. And it's, and that's not, this is in no way a criticism because I think that, you know, getting down to the essential of something is what it's all about. But, you know, Neil Young or Keith Richards or, you know, like they, they, they're not, um, they don't have like this, uh, you know, incredibly broad virtuosic scope. And that's one of the things about Garcia, even though he was not really, about virtuosity, um, you know, because he was sloppy as hell. But um, but he had like he he played in many different modes, 
many more than most rock guitar players, you know, like he had this kind of modal thing. He, the thing that I can still personally never quite, that I'm always trying to kind of chase after when I hear him playing is like the way that he played like uh, through changes, you know, like, uh, like, I don't know, like on deal or something like that, where, you know, he's playing like a saxophonist. I mean, it's like a jazz kind of playing, which is very unlike, you know, any of those other people that I just mentioned, they would never be able to play that way. Um, there's just like a sophistication to his understanding of, I think, a guitar neck and how it works that was like, you know, uh, kind of totally uh, unusual and unique. And yet coupled with this like hyper melodic, you know, sense, like, I mean, his, you know, a lot of times his solos start with like a, you know, restatement of the melody of the song. And then sort of, it sort of expands out from there, you know. And then there's like the country stuff and the then there's like the fucking super weird, you know, feedback out stuff. There's like, um, you know, there's just so, there's, it's just such an incredibly broad range. And, and he synthesized so many um, disparate influences. And I think that to me, that's what I, I try to keep as sort of a guiding principle for me. It's like, you know, it's fine. In fact, you should kind of steal things from other places sure. as long as as long as you can synthesize them some way to make it your own, because then, I mean, that's what stealing is like. It's now it's yours <laughs> right. as opposed to as opposed to like borrowing it or something or, you know, I think, you know, there's a lot of music that you can hear where you hear it and it's like, oh, that's that person's version of, you know, whatever this style or this song or a lot of times influences are can be so apparent and one-dimensional but like Garcia's are so rich and kind of this created this kind of soup um, where you can see where the stuff is coming from but how he put it all together is super inspiring to me and that's something that I um, you know aspire to for sure yeah as a, a hack player I, I'm just astounded how he can take a country song and play a solo on a country song and start with restating the the melody perhaps but then his his lead line starts expanding and he doesn't finish his thoughts when the the core the progression ends he's he's still speaking yeah. when the band is starting another chorus and he's just talking right over it and right. you know just stretching and stretching but it's still you know me and my uncle or something um, yeah which is which is why i really like uh you know jgb stuff a lot yeah. too because the forms in a lot of ways are simpler than the dead you know oh, he's playing so motown many, songs or uh yeah so many so many covers and uh standards and stuff but like the way that he um you know inverts them and expands them and subverts them and stuff to me is like just so fun to listen to it really is well maybe we'll have to sneak a jerry band song or two in here uh for everybody yeah and also and then also you know he's fine with like there's there's gonna be a few clams in there folks like you know there's like you can't you know can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs and if you're gonna kind of go for it like that sometimes there's a there's a couple of a uh, couple of missed notes you know some those are actually to me some of the most endearing parts of uh of uh of some of those jgb songs is that uh is it um it's a, there's a, like a 1981 Music Mountain, uh, Fallsburg, New York, 
recording out there that's got like they do uh, one song and then it goes into Let It Rock and then Deal. It's like this kind of you know 20 minute kind of end of the set segue thing. But like you know he comes in on you know Let It Rock, which is of course is like one of the s- simplest songs. Right, it's his Chuck Berry song. And he just totally comes in on like you know just he was he was a half step off or yeah. something like that, and it's like. Boink. <laughs> like but oh okay back into it like corrects it and you know completely rips like uh you know i think there's 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 like a humanity in that too which i find really appealing and not sterile yeah if it were yeah. all slick and perfect it would yeah sterile is a is a, is a good word it would if it were all slick and perfect it wouldn't it wouldn't feel real it wouldn't feel natural yeah. or comfortable or you know relatable the way the grateful dead does i mean I don't mean relatable right. in that. Oh, I could do that. I mean relatable, and it's like this is, these are, these are humans after all doing some pretty totally. freaking godly stuff sometimes. And which is also kind of why I don't really care for their studio recordings much. I mean, I, I very very rarely go back to the studio albums. I mean, you know, Working Man's Dead and American Beauty are obviously like perfect, but. And there's like bits and pieces here and there that I can get into, but I'm into it for the live thing because I feel like uh, the studio records a lot of times are just them trying to corral this thing that was like counterproductive. It was, you know, that's like their magic was not the sterile precision of a, you know, recording studio in the 70s, like, you know, which can be great. I mean, you know, I like Fleetwood Mac too, but like... Grateful Dead trying to sound like Fleetwood Mac, like doesn't you know in the studio, like doesn't always work for me. You know? It didn't quite work. It was too much of uh, herding cats, though. Interestingly, yeah, yeah. those American Beauty and Working Man's, those were the records that they they rehearsed the hell out of, and then hurried in and out of the studio to get them done cheap. Right. Uh, so that's that's and, right, and as somehow opposed... not a thing that they managed to uh, pull off quite the same way ever again. Yeah, well, it takes a lot of discipline, I think, to be able to do that. And they weren't known for um, that. No, not <laughs> the not the most famous uh, attribute of the dead, for sure. Yeah. Wow. Well, um, I'm glad I asked if you had any more to add. That was a <laughs> thank you for that. That's terrific. Sure. And thank you for coming and talking to me on the internets here. Yeah, man, my pleasure. I am real excited to continue digging into this record. I actually. Um, you know, I hadn't, hadn't, hadn't listened to the LP that many times I've been listening to, you know, the digital copy because I'm mobile Mm -hmm. and I've been away from the house and all this nonsense. But so last night I was listening to, as I said, a bunch of your records kind of going back. And, uh, my daughter who is in her early twenties was here with her roommate and her roommate says, who's this, this is really cool. I like this. And uh, I was listening to, I think, the last record, Dreaming the Nom Dream. And I was like, oh, it's Chris Forsythe. That's his new record right there. And she picked it up, examining it. And I, I honestly think she might go pick it up. So Outstanding. Uh, yeah. So we're influencing young minds here. There you go. <laughs> so anyways, that was, I don't know why I brought that up, but I thought you'd like to hear it. And um, thanks again. Thanks for coming on. This has been a lot of fun. We sampled a couple tunes from the new record. Should we give them like, um, you know, the opening cut or Mystic Mountain? Or what do you think we should play for them uh, to, when we come out of this? Yeah, I think I like I, I think Mystic Mountain is a nice one. That's 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 one of my although although. Well, here I'll give you two choices. Uh, like 
kind of my two favorite, I guess, uh, at least, you know. Today. Uh, at this point, yeah. <laughs> cuts, cuts on the regular. Mystic Mountain and also uh, Living on Cubist Time. Oh, yeah. Like that one, I, is, that, that's one that I think is uh, uh, sort of some new territory and is like a really, you know, uh, a nice zone to be in. Um, which is also very kind of contrasty to a lot of the other stuff on the record. But Okay, well, yeah, let's get into that one then. Uh, the new album is called All Time Present. It is available on the Bandcamp, and I'll post all the links for everybody on the thing, and they can go find them on the internet and uh, check it out. The LP is, uh, is gorgeous and nice to have in your hands. And, uh, yeah, thanks a lot, Chris. We'll see you on the internet. And uh, do you have any dates coming up? Uh, are they on your website? I can plug those for everybody after the fact you don't have to rattle them yeah off um july i'm going out to chicago uh and doing playing in minneapolis and milwaukee and chicago july 11th 12th 13th and the band for that actually is going to be um doug mccombs from tortoise on bass and arif Sleskatan from Brokeback and the eternals on drums and jamie fenley from mind over mirrors on keyboards so it's like kind of a little chicago all-stars band wild um, yeah, so I like this is my kind of new touring strategy is like put together bands someplace and then just go to them oh, that's <laughs> rather cool. than putting together a band here and dragging them around the country. That's a almost economical way to roll. I like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and uh, Garcia Peoples, who I if you haven't had on the program, oh, I have. They're they're. Oh yeah, I figured I figured you must have. Um, I'm going to be doing a few shows with them in July and September where they are going to like they'll play but then they're also kind of be my band oh very cool uh and uh and then every friday in september uh playing at new blue in uh in new york city two sets sweet well, i might have to get up to some of that um all right well i will uh post links to your website and all that stuff so people can find this stuff and uh once again thank you so much yeah man thanks for having me All right, so that was pretty cool. I really enjoyed talking to Chris. Thank you to him once again for coming on the show. You can find Chris at thechrisforsyth.com and from his new album on No Quarter Records, here is Living on Cubist Time.
Man, I love that track. I really dig this album. I hope that you will too. There's not a whole lot more time left this week, so let's get into some Garcia. I say Garcia because our first cut is actually Legion of Mary from April 8th, 1975 at the bottom line. And we've got a smoking version of Tore Up Over You. And after that, we're going to slide forward in time and down the turnpike to Philadelphia, PA and the Spectrum for a great Scarlet Fire from May 2nd, 1981. This is a good little show that you should check out if you got the notion. There is um, there's a good bird song. I really like the sugary in the first set. And uh, I tell you, this is this is right smack in the early part of a little spring tour. They went over to Europe in March of that year. And Reckoning came out beginning of April. And then at the end of April, they started out on this tour. Uh, you may know the May 6th show. That came out as Dick's Picks 13. I'm a big fan of the night before, the 5-5 show. But overall, I've had pretty good luck with it. Pretty much all of these shows from this tour, it's it's rocking. It's just good energy throughout and great playing. And I think you'll find it here on this Scarlet Fire. So I hope you enjoy it. Please check out the Twitter and the Instagrams, both at Broke Down Pod and the blog, which is still brokedownpodcast.blogspot.com. And please review the show on your iTunes or wherever that is and all that nonsense. So now, without any more of me babbling, let's get into some jams. And until next time, be well.
Osiris.